Well, good morning, church, and happy Mother's Day to all of you mothers out there. Uh, I want to personally welcome you here on campus, for those of you who are here. I want to welcome you to church, those of you who are uh, with us online. As, as Pastor Hart said, my name is Steve Botsford. Um, he's he's uh, Handout Harvey is how he introduces him when, himself when he preaches. So uh, just know me as Stick to the Script Steve, okay? Uh, yeah, I'm the, I'm the family pastor here at Foothills, and uh, honestly, what a, what a wonderful, blessed day to be here with all of you. So I, I really, uh, we really use this day to celebrate the women in our lives. And, and, and in doing so, I thought, like, what better way to celebrate uh, one of the main women in my life than to bring her up here uh, onto the stage. One of the things that she would hate the most, uh, this is my wife, Monique. Um, and as you, as you may know, she is a, a new mother again. And this is a uh, little Reuben. So... Yeah, so we have, a, we have this little guy, but also five other children that are running around the church somewhere. So if you see them, uh, tell them to get back into class. Um, Monique has been, been such a blessing to our children, uh, a blessing to me. And I just want to say I'm so thankful for her and the role that she plays in all of our lives. I know our children sees the way that you love the Lord. Uh, they see the way that, that you love them and the way that you love to serve other people. So I just want to say thank you. In front of everybody, okay? Because that would be the most uh, memorable, right? It makes me think of this quote from, uh, from Merle Frost as, as he was being honored as one of the most courageous, as the most courageous athlete of the year in 1946. I was looking for this quote and I came across this one, and he words it quite well. He says, they say behind every great man, there is a woman. While I'm not a great man, there is a great woman behind me. And I just echo that same feeling today. I may not be a great man, but I definitely have a great woman standing behind me. And in fact, I have many great women standing behind me. I have my mother, my grandmothers, and my mother-in-law, as well as so many other women over the years. So, thank you. We just got back from boot camp, uh, not we, but we as in men, uh, last Sunday. And, and really, you never appreciate the women in your life than spending a weekend with 50 other guys. <laughs> So, um, now don't get me wrong, some great things happened up there at boot camp. God was really moving the lives of those men. But between the smells of the cabins and the, the high level of competitiveness all weekend long, it is good to be back among women, okay? So guys, can I get an amen there? Okay. Uh, so I'd like to take a moment and just pray over Monique. And as I pray over her, I also want you ladies to, I'm, I'm praying over you as well. And as Pastor Harv said, there are women who have, who have dreamed of becoming mothers. There are, there are women who, uh, who have, this is a, a good day, and this can be a tough day. I want you to know that being, mom, being a mom is one thing, but having an, an attitude or a value of motherhood is something completely different. Pastor Doug said something like this. He says, motherhood is the calling to have an intentional attitude in raising and discipling children into adults. Now, this can be with your own children, but many times it's, it's you living it in your life, this attitude of motherhood, and pouring it into children that are not your own. So we, we acknowledge you as well today. So let's take a moment and honor the mothers and those who have this attitude of motherhood uh, displayed in their lives. Let's, let's pray. Father, I thank you for all that you've done for us. Thank you for, for putting the women in our lives that, that means so much to us, that influence, that influence us in such 
meaningful ways. God, I ask that you would bless them today, that you would bless them through this year. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, now you can, uh, yeah, you can exit. <laughs> when I told her she was doing that, she's like, for real? Like, that's, that's what you're going to do? So as Pastor Doug asked me to speak on Mother's Day on the topic of educating children, I was kind of at a loss as to how to, how to approach the topic. I mean, I for sure wanted to acknowledge mothers and this, this attitude or value of motherhood, but I also wanted to inspire those next steps uh, in that same message. And you can ask our softball team uh, how I, how I kind of give that talk, okay? You know, it goes like, great job tonight, everyone, but we've got some work to do, okay? We've got some work to do. And that's just not the Mother's Day message that you want to hear, is it? So I had, to, I had to work a lot harder. So I did what any young pastor would do, and I Googled educating children scripture, okay? Now, at the risk of sounding like I know nothing, the passages that did come up in the Google search are, are quite familiar, the first of which being Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to that, uh, that passage. If not, it will be up here on the screen. It starts off, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments I give to you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them to your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. And as I read that one, I was, man, this is a good one. Within these, within this, these verses is what's called the Shema. Okay, and that's the, the Hebrew word for here after the, the first word of this passage. And these verses were to be recited daily in the prayers of the Jews in order to remember that the Lord is one. These words were so important that the Jews, they were, they were commanded to have it on their hearts, to impress it on their children, to talk about it all the time, even so much as to bind the word of God to themselves. Basically, they were surrounding themselves with these words of God that were so important. And I thought, man, that would make a good sermon. All right, that would make a good sermon. But I went back to Google, okay? The next one to pop up was Proverbs 22, verse 6. It says, train a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. And I thought, oh, yeah, that's, that's a good one. That's what every mother wants, Right? to train them up, and then they'll, they'll do what they're supposed to. But since I'm a man of few words, that's the sermon right there. Okay, train them, and then they'll do it, right? They should do it. So I went back to Google. 2 Timothy 3, 16. All Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And I thought, yes, that's, the good, that's a great one. Raising children, using scripture to raise and educate children. Pastor Doug would be so proud that I found that one, right? I mean, use it to teach them. Use it to rebuke and correct them. Use scripture to train them to follow, the, follow Jesus in righteousness. Now, honestly, that is a winning passage. But not feeling at the time that I was led on any of those, I decided to take it from a different angle. 
And what is, what is society saying about motherhood? And that is, a, that is a dark trail that you can go down, let me tell you. Just like so many areas of life, people tend to look to the culture to see what it says before they actually uh, come up with their own idea, um, their own opinion about what it is. And that's for better or for worse. What we see in culture is instead of elevating motherhood, if we're being honest, culture more and more is looking down on motherhood. Not only does it look down on motherhood, but it tends to denigrate motherhood. And I'm not the one to start quoting feminists, so I won't. But you can easily see that motherhood tends to be viewed as, as women not being the successful women that they could be. And Pastor Doug gives a great synopsis of this in the Salty Pastor podcast uh, that he did this past week. So I do encourage you to go take a, a listen at that. But what is being realized is, is that more of, more much of society sees that the role of motherhood is tying down women and limiting their potential to succeed in this world. Society influences us to do whatever you want. And if you're a woman, do what you want as long as it's not staying at home. That's what they'll encourage. And society shows us to push others down so that we can have the upper hand. But from a mother, what we learn is self-control. We learn civility. We learn sacrifice. It's mothers who develop the hearts of children. First Peter has a great passage on this. It's First uh, Peter chapter three, verses three in the beginning of five, through the beginning of five, and it says this about women. But I believe it fits this idea of motherhood so well. It says, "Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes." Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. Now that passage, that is a good one. And you really see the, the beauty of womanhood and, and the beauty of motherhood in this. And you see it carried out through God's wonderful design. Have you ever noticed how when children are younger, they tend to, they tend to gravitate to the moms, to their mothers? And, and it's because they need that type of influence in their life. They need, to realize, um, they need to realize that it is their inner self that matters, not, not how they look. It's not until later when they start to gravitate towards the fathers and they learn, you know, how, how to like grunt and, and make farting noises and whatnot, okay? Women and mothers get this, this beautiful passage in 1 Peter. Men, we tend to get like, we, we look at Samson and be like, yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a man. Uh, or, or we see David as he fights Goliath. But when you honestly look at, at the Bible and you see the examples of motherhood, you see what motherhood is truly supposed to be. Now, there are, there are two kinds of, of scriptures that show us. There's, there's a prescriptive passages and there's descriptive passages, some, some examples of motherhood. And what I mean by descriptive is it's more or less those things happened, okay? Uh, for example, Rebecca in the Old Testament, uh, she was the wife of Isaac, her motherhood example is not the best, okay? It's not that the Bible is saying this is what you should do, but this is what happened. She ends up favoring her son Jacob over her older son Esau and influencing Jacob to deceive his father in order to get the blessing that belonged to Esau. 
Now, if you read that and say, well, the Bible said so, so I should do it, you're not reading the Bible right, okay? So that's, that's descriptive. But when we come to prescriptive scripture, these are the attitudes and characteristics that are called, that call us to follow their example, to things that we should strive to possess ourselves. And for that, we have quite a few examples in scripture. The first one that I came across was Jochebed. The, this is the mother of Moses, and she risked everything in order to save her son. You see, Pharaoh at that time had, had called for the, the massacre of all the Hebrew baby boys, but she saved her son in spite of the, any penalty that may have come. Another great example is, the, is Samuel's mother, praying that God would give her a child, that she would be able to bear a son. And when she did, in that same attitude, she promised that she would give him up in order that he could serve the Lord. Or we have Naomi, a mother who lost everything, both her husband and her two sons. Yet, God, yet she saw that God carry out his plan through her daughter-in-law, Ruth. She, uh, though she had been dealt a bad hand in life, Naomi saw a moment of hope and restoration, and she believed that God could work in it. And then we come to maybe the, the most famous mother in Scripture, the mother of Jesus. What a, what a task to be the mother of Jesus. She was a young girl who was favored by God, and she was obedient to the call that God had in her life. Even though the plan that she had looked very different than the plan that God revealed to her. But today, I, I don't want to focus on any of those for too long. Uh, I want to highlight maybe a lesser-known mother in Scripture. And in fact, this is actually a mother and a grandmother. And so if you know anything about me, I like finding a good deal. It's a two-for-one Sunday, you guys. Okay? Uh, so although we only have a few, a few short verses on these two ladies, uh, we're able to, to get a glimpse of the impact that these two women had on this one person's life. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1. Now, Paul is writing to Timothy, who is, who is Paul's companion, his, his protege, and Timothy has been training under Paul for, for quite some time now, and at this point, he is actually leading the church in Ephesus. And Paul writes to him, he says, I thank God, whom I serve as my sisters did, with a clear conscience, as night and day that I constantly remember you in my prayers, recalling your tears. I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you. Then if we jump ahead a couple chapters to chapter 3, verses 14 through 15, Paul continues to say this about Timothy. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and you have become convinced of, because you know from those whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. You see, Paul knows that he is building on a foundation that was laid by somebody else, a foundation of faith that was laid by Timothy's mother and Timothy's grandmother. And for all the work that Paul has poured into Timothy, even to the point where he, he refers to Timothy as his son in the faith, Paul knows who laid that foundation. He acknowledges that there are people, Timothy's mother and grandmother, who have been working in Timothy's life, making an impact far before Paul showed up. 
He even goes so far as to say, the faith of these two women is evident in your faith, Timothy. Well, church, I want you to realize that you have a chance to make that kind of impact in your own children's lives and the lives of the children who are near you and the lives of the children who are in this church, down these hallways, in those classrooms. You even have the chance to make that kind of impact in the lives of those students, those kids who end up in your house after school raiding your pantry. You have a chance to make an impact on their lives. As you may know, I, I, uh, I come from student ministry and, and I work with students pretty often. And I also get a regular chance to meet with other pastors in the valley. And, and we have conversations about things that, things that are going on, what students are facing, and, and just the, the current climate of ministry. And while I, don't, I won't uh, ever say that I know all of the trends that are going on, it's hard not to notice that it seems like parents are tending to lose that influence. More and more children are not listening to parents is what it, is what it seems like. You know, and there's, there's so many things trying to speak into their lives. There's, there's the social media. There's, there's actually influencers. You can make a job by being on Instagram. That is, that is wild. And it leaves parents just wondering, how will my child ever hear me? And even going to such crazy ideas like, I will sign on to, on to TikTok. I will, I will speak to them in that way. And I'm telling you, don't do that. It's not, it's not worth it. There's a, a 2017 study. Uh, it was done by Oxford. And it's, it's revealing or showing the, the biggest influence on whether a child stays in the church, stays a Christian for the rest of their life. And the biggest influence is not their friends. The biggest influence isn't the things that, that they see on social media. The biggest influence isn't their youth leader or their pastor. You might guess what it is. It's their parents. That's, that is great news, okay? That is great news that parents still hold the mantle of having the most influence in their child's life. And I would like to show you right now the importance of every moment that, that your children uh, have with you. And, and I know that's always like, what's under the table? What's under the table? Pastor Doug, uh, it's not fire, um, which maybe one day. But in these containers, you guys, this, uh, each container represents one of my children, Okay, and yes, there are six. Okay, some people think my wife and I are crazy, but Monique and I know that we are extremely blessed. Uh, each of these containers represents one of my children, and in these containers are a bunch of marbles. And you may have seen this illustration done before. Uh, <clears throat> I'm not a genius. I didn't come up with it, but it speaks so, so great. Each marble represents one week of their life from ages zero to 18, and from 0 to 18 is a time when parents have the most amount of influence in their lives. Okay? And, and that time, oh man, it's rough, you guys. From 0 to 18, there are 936 weeks. Okay? 936 weeks to influence your child to, to live the way that Christ wants them to live. And when... Uh, Let's just, yeah, let's get into it, all right? Uh, here's a picture of my family. Okay, um, there's all six of the, the kids and, and Monique and myself. Um, the oldest is the redhead. Her name's Regan. 
the youngest is, is uh, Reuben. He's that little baby, okay? When it comes to the math, uh, 936 weeks. Now, some of you might have uh, or children who are over 18, and you're like, Steve, they didn't leave, okay? That'll be a different sermon, okay? <laughs> I keep telling my oldest that uh, once she's 18, she's out. She's out or paying rent. And she, neither she nor my wife really appreciate that humor, but uh, <laughs> that's all right. This one represents Reuben, okay, that little baby that you saw on stage earlier. Uh, he made the math really easy for me. He's four weeks old, so he has 932 weeks left for us to influence him in this, in this prime time of influence. This one represents Asher, two years old. Over 100 weeks gone already. 823 left. Here's Jude, five and a half. 634 weeks left. There's so many, you guys. Uh, Reuben, Asher, Jude. I did Jude, Adria. There's Adria, who, who just turned eight years old, which means 10 years left, 520 weeks left. And then there's Gavin, who is 10, 410 weeks left. And then Regan. <laughs> if I had 12 fingers, I'd hold them up and say, this many. 310. She's not even a teenager. All right. And when I look at these and I see the difference between when we start and when it feels like we have so much left, we just don't. In church, we don't have the time to waste with our kids. Your time of influence is going to go so fast. And you might feel like you have a great relationship with your 18-year-old, but it's nothing like the influence you have there from 0 to 18. Pastor Doug emphasized how much in this, uh, how much in this series, he's emphasized how much the family influences a person. So my question is, what are you going to do with the time that we have left? Are you surrounding their lives with God's most important words? Are you bringing them up in the way they should go? Are you using scripture to teach, to correct, to train? Because we absolutely need to teach them God's word. But more importantly, we need to show them God's word. Recently, I took on the task of uh, building some garden boxes. And when I say some, I mean 16 garden boxes. The idea was to replace our, our normal muddy garden and, and clean it up, throw some gravel down, um, and, and prevent an army of children from trampling all of the plants. So I recruited that army of children to help in the project. We cut the lumber. We began to, uh, to uh, we cut each board to length, and I gave my two oldest drills and fixed them with a, an eighth-inch drill bit and started them on pre-drilling the holes. It was a long day. 
There was whining. There were far too many questions about break time. And I don't recall the last time I heard so much complaining about aching backs from such little people. Okay? Now, was it the easiest choice to involve my kids in the project? No. Was it the most efficient choice? Not by far. Was it the most effective choice? I mean, many hands make light work. Not if they're that small. Uh, in fact, they broke, they broke four of my drill bits that day. But was it the right choice? Absolutely. If I were to do the job myself, I could have saved myself some trouble, saved some time, as well as those four drill bits. But the investment I made that day, it was not in my garden. It was in my kids. Now, as noted, it wasn't a perfect day. There was arguing, there was correcting, there were mistakes to be fixed, and I wasn't a perfect dad. I got frustrated, and, and I didn't do a good job hiding it either, nor did I show the amount of grace that I should have that day. But at the end of the day, we, me and my kids, could look back at the hard work that we did, and it wasn't just that I told them it was more than telling them that hard work pays off. They got to experience it and see it. I mean, the easier way to have said that is more is caught than taught, right? You don't influence your children for good by giving them a speech or by saying, because I said so. You influence your children and you teach them and you train them. If you want to do that, you must lead them. So my question is, how are you leading your children? Every parent experiences this at some point where your child does something wrong or hurts another child. Maybe it's, it's one of your children or maybe it's a, a friend of theirs. And, and you sit your child down and you explain to them, you need to apologize and go ask for forgiveness for what you did. For me, when this happened, I used to think this is going to be such a great moment. This is going to be such a great teachable moment. I was told that phrase and explained that, that idea in college, and it was like, oh, yeah, just can't wait to have kids for those teachable moments. So I'd have my speech in order, even a few counter-arguments, just in case they were needed. But it turns out I was just giving them a task to do. I, I would tell them, you need to apologize. And so they would go say, I'm sorry. You're just giving them a task. Yes, it's one that, a good one that needs to be learned, but it was just a task. However, when you mess up and you go to your kids and you ask for their forgiveness, this is a meaningful lesson and an example that they will remember for the rest of their lives. It takes, it takes great humility. Believe me when I say I'm not a perfect father. I've had to do that. I've had to go to my own children and say, I was wrong. Okay, guys, it's hard to do that with your wife. Try it with your kids. I've had to go to them and ask their forgiveness more than, I, more than I would like to admit, and probably not as often as I should. But I just want you to think of the impression that that leaves on them. You know, you can teach them lessons and hope that they get it, or you can lead them in experiencing those same lessons, and I'm positive it will stick with them. Let's refine this down a little bit more. Instead of just leading your child to have good morals, how are you leading your children when it comes to being a Christ follower? 
Do they see that you have a prayer life? And not in kind of the braggy way. I mean, Jesus, he has some words to say about that. But are you setting the example for them to to show them what it means to have a prayer life? Or how about in reading God's word? Are you leading there? Or how about in living out your faith? Are you living in the community of the church on a weekly, on a daily basis and not just on Sunday? When you're practicing these things, it's called abiding in Christ. And and if you're doing these things, it is going to do so much for your own faith. But when you show these things to your children, you're teaching them, you're showing them how how they can abide in Christ. And that's going to be a lesson that sticks with them. If you do that, then you're raising them up in the way they should go. They will see that when you say you believe in Jesus Christ, you not only say it, but you mean it, and you're living it yourself. One of the top reasons students leave the faith is because they didn't see the gospel change lives in the people that are closest to them. Okay? Let me say that again. One of the top reasons students leave the faith is because they don't see the gospel changing the lives of the people that live closest to them. You guys, I I didn't buy 4,000 marbles just because they look pretty. I want you to see that the time we have of influence goes so fast. So what what are you doing with this time? This time that is so precious. This is the time, 936 weeks that we have of prime influence to make disciples of, the, of our children. Are you, are you using it for all it's worth? I must say that uh, the role of a mother, this attitude of motherhood, it is so powerful. It is so powerful. And the way that we use it can speak volumes into the life of, of people. And I know it's Mother's Day, but right now I think, I think all you mothers would agree. Fathers, the role of a father is so powerful. What are you doing with that influence? Our children need you. Okay, our, our children need you to take advantage of every moment possible during this time of influence. But when they're that, that clay that's so easily, easy to mold, they need us to take advantage of that time. They need us to, to impress upon them the love of Jesus Christ and the hope that we have in him. And the fact that we not only call him our Savior, but we call him our Lord and we obey the things that he calls us to do. They need that in their lives. Because my children need you. They need you to take part in the church. They need you to, to help to raise up that next generation, to be the influence that they need for, for the, uh, the love of the world, for them to know who Jesus is and, and the fact that he can change their hearts. He needs you to help raise up the next generation to be fully devoted disciples. Not only the children in this church, but the children of the valley need you. And so this isn't just to parents. This is to the church Okay, the church needs you to be that influence. And the best way that I see this happening is one, to surround them with God's word. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. To bring them up in the way they should go. You know, set that tone for them. Proverbs 22, 6. And to use God's inspired word to teach, correct, and train them. 
2 Timothy 3.16. They need that. They need you to teach them that, but more importantly, they need you to lead them in that. So as, as you see this up here and you're saying, okay, educate children, the best way that we're going to educate them is by living this out. So I hope that is a, a message that resonates with you. I know that it, it's powerful for me, like the, the fact that we have only so much time with them. Let's make the most of it. Would you stand for, for closing prayer? Father, I praise you. Praise you for the, the good Father that you are, for your, uh, the holiness of who you are, that you are set apart from all others. God, and I thank you for, for all the women in this, in this room and, and those who are listening. And I, I pray that you would empower them to be the woman, the women that you have called them to be. And God, I pray for all of us that we would take advantage of this time that you've, that you've given us to influence the next generation. Let us not waste it. We praise you, and we love you, and we thank you for your son. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Happy Mother's Day.